<laughs> Shabbat Shalom and Mazel Tov, everyone. The, uh, the Torah portion for this morning, and as I indicated uh, a few short moments ago, is one that is, as I said, very long, and it deals with a myriad of a panoply of ideas. But there's one actually I want to share with you, and it is, I think, a small one that has a really, really deep value to it. And uh, perhaps surprisingly, it comes at the very end. At uh, the very end of the Torah portion, if you're anything like me, of course, the very beginning of the Torah readings carries our fascination. Perhaps my attention deficit disorder kicks in. <laughs> and towards the end of the Torah portion, uh, particularly a long one, um, our attention level and perhaps the, uh, the drama and tension, the dramatic tension of the portion seems to wear off. But not this morning. Found in this morning, of course, is a small nugget of beautiful poetry to it that if we weren't careful, if we were just relieved to see the end of the reading, we might very well end up forgetting it. As a, a bit of a disclaimer, this week I uh, was featured in a podcast with Mark Gerson, who's uh, uh, a remarkable personality in the States. He's a highly regarded financier. The podcast is called The Rabbi's Husband because his wife is a rabbi. <laughs> so if, uh, and he has an incredible array of guests there, uh, politicians um, and business people. It's a fascinating uh, podcast. If you have spare time, I suspect you probably don't, but if you do, you can check it out. Anyways, the Torah portion for this morning deals with something that goes along this line. But first, I'm going to tell you a story. I've been a rabbi in Toronto now almost 30 years. And when I first came to Toronto, most of the interfaith work that I did involved Jews and Christians. It's remarkably different today. Today, most of the interfaith work that I did before COVID struck, most of the interfaith work that I did was between Jews and Muslims. And so it wasn't surprising at all to find me on a Friday afternoon at the Juma prayers or on a Sunday evening to be at a mosque or, or a Muslim community center somewhere in the fringes of the city talking to people. But early on in my career, as I said, most of the interfaith work was between Jews and Christians. And I found myself at the Archdiocese of Toronto, just by Summerhill, at a table with about 25, 30 ministers, priests, pastors, and I was the only rabbi there. Anyways, they go around the table for everyone to introduce themselves, and they say, please tell us your name, the congregation you're working in, and when you got the call. So they go around the table, everyone's telling their name, the congregation's name, and when they got the call, presumably the call, the call from God to go serve their religion. And they come to me. So I give them my name, I tell them where I'm working. And then as regarding the call, I said to them, I'm still waiting. Which is a uniquely Jewish attitude. I know that throughout the non-Jewish world, particularly the Christian world, that there is often discussion and mention of people getting a call from God for them to do something. And yet, particularly Jews, when you gather with rabbis, rabbis never talk like that. We never ever express an idea that we came to serve the Jewish people because there was a call that came to us from God in the middle of the night or go walking in a park or at the very end of a jog or I was taking a swim or whatever it is. I made my toast in the morning and there was a message on the toast. There's none of that that takes place in Judaism. 
rabbis, Jews, don't talk like that. And this morning's Torah portion at the very end, I think, explains why. So I'm going to set the stage for you. The Torah portion from this morning in regards to lots of things that were woven in was this thing. And for those of you who are following, you may in fact know that the Torah portion for this morning is also the reading for Hanukkah. Why? Because this morning's Torah portion addresses the ceremonies, the, the dedication ceremonies after the Mishkan, the portable tabernacle the Jews worshipped in when they wandered in the desert for 40 years. They were the dedication ceremonies to inaugurate it. They had eight days of inauguration. Why the number eight, we're not going to go into. But they had eight days of inauguration. And at the very, very end of that, after the eighth day, this is where we are. Okay. So the eighth day ceremonies are done. Everyone goes home. The lights are turned off in the Mishkan. The janitors and cleaning staff have left. And Moses decides to go for a walk in the Mishkan. Just him by himself. And then as he walks through the Mishkan, this portable tabernacle, he decides that he's going to walk into the Ohel Moed, the Holy of Holies, where the Ark is. And as he walks in, the Torah, the Torah portion tells us, Moses goes into the tent of meeting, into the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant is. Vayishma, and he heard Hashem mitabere love, God talking to itself. For those of you who follow any kind of biblical texts, there are some phrases that we're all very familiar with. I'm going to throw them out. For example, Vayedaber Adonai el Moshe. God spoke to Moses saying, Vayikra Adonai el Moshe. God called to Moses saying. Lots of times those, those expressions are found manifold in the biblical text. And yet in this section, God doesn't call Moses to come in. Moses himself just comes right in. And when Moses comes in, God isn't talking to him. Who? The ancient rabbis ask. And a series of biblical commentators all through the ages, they're all perplexed by this. Who is God talking to? God didn't call Moses to come in. So who is God talking to? And the answer that Jewish tradition comes to is that God was talking to itself. And not only that, but nowhere in the text are we told what God is saying to itself. Moses just kind of wanders in and he hears this noise, this sound of God talking to itself and he doesn't hear a word exactly of what it is. We aren't told what God says. We are simply told that God is talking to itself. To me, this always strikes as a lesson, a cautionary note in one of the great dangers in human life. And that is the danger of people thinking that God talks to them. 
It's the danger, of course, seen and manifold in many, many different ways. I'm going to throw out a few examples to you. But sadly, tragically, human history is not empty of many examples of people who think they hear God. So here goes. In recent modern times, the attack on the Twin Towers in the United States on 9-11 was executed and inspired by people believing that God had talked to them. In uh, somewhat distant human history, particularly for the Jews, the false messiahs of Shabtai Tzvi and Jacob Frank were also examples of people believing that God talks to them. In short, when you think that God is talking to you, what are you assuming? When you think that God talks to you, what you're assuming is, is that you know for certain what God wants from you. And if there is anything that is certainly profoundly dangerous in human life, it is the certainty that people believe they know what God wants from them. As the ancient rabbis say, hate the definite, ohev et the shema, love, embrace the maybe. Over the course of my career as a rabbi, many people have asked me this one question that has come in many different ways but I'll encapsulate it like this. They go, why are there so many different religions in the world? It's a great question. After all, if Judaism is the truth, why isn't it that everyone believes in Judaism? And I always answer them by saying, first of all, Judaism is not the truth. Judaism is a truth. Judaism, however, is the truth for the Jews. And secondly, the reason why there are so many religions in the world is because there's a difference between God speaking to you and you hearing God. And the difference goes like this. The great writer Bill Bryson, I don't know if you've ever read any of his books, but Bill Bryson is a wonderful writer. He wrote a book called A Short History of Everything. And he tells the following story. He tells a story about in the 1960s at the Bell Laboratory Labs in New Jersey. They had a massive antenna there. And over the course of a number of weeks, the antenna has a lot of static on it. So first they start replacing, this is before they had transistors, okay? So they go replacing all the bulbs, uh, all the fuse bulbs inside of the, uh, the machinery. The static was still there. Then they decided to replace all the wiring inside the machines. They replaced all the wires. The static is still there. Finally, they said, you know what? They walked outside and they looked at the, at the antenna. And it was covered in bird poop. So they said, the static must be from the bird poop. So they go outside with brooms and soap and water and this massive antenna. And they spend a week cleaning the entire antenna. And there's still static. And then finally it dawned on them that the static wasn't because of the vacuum tubes or the wiring or the bird poop. What they had discovered was the first detectable signs of the Big Bang. It were the radio waves from the original creation of the universe. It was always there. They just had to listen to it. One of the great charges in human life that Judaism is a beautiful strategy to is not to believe that God is talking to us. It is to believe 
that we are charged to listen for God in the moments in our life. Maybe there are five, six, ten moments during a day that if you stop, you can actually hear God. Jack, this moment in your life with your family and friends is one of those moments. But they are, but they are multiple during the course of our day. And I'll give you one small example of such a moment. One of the first blessings I learned as a child, I was maybe three or four years old, long prayer, was a blessing that we are commanded to recite after we go to the washroom. For the obvious reasons, you learn how to memorize it because we're not allowed to bring a siddur, a prayer book, into the washroom. So it was a young child that was drilled into me to memorize it. And it makes entire sense, of course, because if those things didn't work, we wouldn't live. Later on in my life, I realized, I discovered that who was the person who authored this prayer that you recite after you leave the washroom? The prayer that says, and thanks God for the miracle of our bodies working. Realizing that if our bodies didn't work in this fashion, we wouldn't exist or survive. It was a Talmudic sage named Rabbi Yossi. Rabbi Yossi. And Jewish tradition records that he was blind. And yet this blind man was able to write a prayer thanking God for the miracle of the human body. On this morning and every morning, every moment of our life, I ask you, don't wait for God to talk to you. Listen for God. Shabbat shalom and a mazel tov to you all.